We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at what some people would say is the final episode of Coljack, the Night Stalker, entitled The Sentry. Coljack is on the run for his life, but he takes a moment to stop and tell us his tale. Miles beneath Chicago is the Merrimount Archive, a highly specialized underground vault for records and valuables for individuals, corporations, and governments alike. After an exciting geological find by the resident seismologist, people begin to die. While the other reporters are all distracted from the story by the attractive Lieutenant Irene Lamont of the Chicago PD, Coljack is unfazed by a pretty face and continues to dig. Conniving his way into the underground facility, Coljack sees a large reptilian creature, and when he tries to tell the police, he discovers what appears to be a government and military cover-up. He also realizes that the exciting geologic find, which appears to be rocks, are actually a nest of eggs. Returning the eggs to their rightful place, the creature spares Kolchak and leaves. So, you got your wish. He didn't have to kill the creature. Well, he, he, he certainly got a bit better him. at that. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, this is um, this is the last uh, episode of, of The Night Stalker. This is uh, the point where Darren McGavin basically quit uh, from the show, <laughs> asked to be broken from his contract, and, and left. And uh, and this is where we and not that there would have been a proper farewell episode anyway in 1974, but um, but this is yeah no there wouldn't even been a cliffhanger they just would have would have it probably could have ended just exactly like it did they just expect it to go on or not you you know I did wonder right up until the end whether they were going to leave it on a cliffhanger because it was a slightly different setup in that normally when the episode opens it goes straight into the voiceover. And here we got the, the the kind of action happening, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, well, action yeah. as in a buggy chase down a really, really, really long corridor where there's only one buggy and no one chasing. But still, it's it's action, and it's in the middle of it. And then Kolchak, as you alluded, relates his lengthy story, waiting for the uh, crocodile thing to come and find him. Mm-hmm. So by the time he's finishing his story, rather than it being a coda to the episode, it's actually finishing before the showdown. And I thought, why is that? You know, are they? Is this going to end on a cliffhanger? Are they really setting up so the end of the show is actually the 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 struggle and the crocodile bears down on Kolchak and then? But no, it was you just know, a, yeah. But now that you mention it. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's not an uncommon um, technique now for a final episode. They seem to like to do that, you know, even a show that never does flashbacks. A lot of times when you get to a major cliffhanger episode, they'll tell a lot of it through uh, cliffhangers because they want to start you off with, here we are, we're at this amazing terrifying, looks like it's all over point, although they didn't do that very well here. And then... (laughs) 
you know, because typically in a TV series like that that's going to have a cliffhanger, you at least have maybe a recurring villain or something. And so you could recognize a threat, like the Daleks are bearing down on the Doctor or something like that. Here we don't get to see it at all. But And then they go back and tell you, it all started three weeks ago. And then they tell you the story and then they bring you up to the point And then we get to, you know, kind of that sort of a resolution with a cliffhanger kind of thing. Um, so uh, I, I don't know why they chose to break formula here because cliffhangers were, were un, unheard of in 1974 for the end of a series. Um, I, don't, I don't think you've gotten that far, or maybe you have. The first show I know of that ever did it was Blake Seven, and that's you know a few years down the line and on the opposite side of the Atlantic. So um, <clears throat> you know now it's become a, a great way to try to lure the network executives into uh, uh, renewing renew your show. Please yeah. renew me, yeah. Or you're just going to have upset fans. Yeah, and and they'll be writing letters. And you know what happens when they start writing letters. Netflix they stop buying it. things, yeah. 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 <laughs> Nowadays, yeah. Yeah, pity Darren McGavin's not around anymore. I could, uh, Netflix could pick this up. <laughs> well, what did you think of the episode as as a, a whole? Well... It it wasn't it wasn't one of the worst episodes in the sense that at least at least we got Kolchak going out there and doing a bit of investigating and more or less keeping one step ahead and as you say not uh, not spending all of his time trying to track down and destroy whatever it is that uh, he's investigating but actually report the story and and his his motives for reporting um, were were out on the yeah you know, we've had this in one or two other episodes but he he mentions it again here when he's talking to the military guy yeah it's like you actually already know about these things don't you 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 know when are you going to start telling people when they were in subways and in in underground uh, facilities that that these things are out there and and yeah you know, it's a, it's absolutely spot on because the some of the writers on the show do seem to forget that Kolchak is the voice of the press you know he. That, that's his vocation he's there to represent what i mean if if he is to be a hero and obviously in some ways he's not all that heroic um but we've got to have some sympathy with him and we've got to believe in his purpose and his chosen purpose is to bring bring to the bring to the public what they ought to to know about and mm-hmm. you know whether that is uh, whether that is because it's it's um you know some paranormal paranormal threat or whether that's because it's some paranormal related conspiracy that's what he should be about mm-hmm. not 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 trying to not destroy destroying it. whatever it is yeah i yeah we've yeah we we've had that before there is there is that sort of we've, we've pervasive had, we've had it, evil it, must be killed kind of mentality in the yes in the production and 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 you can you can kind of you can kind of forgive it when it's a one-off TV movie, because really, then all that being a reporter is about is giving you an in. It's a way in which he stumbles across the thing he stumbles across. But for a series, it reduces his role as a reporter to, to you know, he just happens to keep stumbling across these things, and then he then he becomes this. You know, if he does the same thing every week, he becomes this crazed avenger who who is i I would say kind of bloodthirsty for for these uh different different paranormal phenomena except some of them don't have blood because you know Mm -hmm. do do well some of them do vampires obviously have blood they drink it Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh androids not so much and who were extraterrestrials who knows but um 
I, I, I like it when he goes back to, to his calling. Right. And, and you know, to, to carry your point about works once for a movie, he has to be pushed to it, right? That's, that's Put to, you're, along, to, you're along to, accept to the it. kill. Right. He, he's on a path and then of the reporter and he's looking for the story and he's just trying to get the story. And then in, in the context of the movie, particularly in the original movie, he's kind of, he's kind of pushed into the, to the, the role of the killer because no one else is taking it seriously and he yeah. can't publish it and he can't, uh, <clears throat> well, he probably, he's going to try to publish it anyway, but um, it, it, in that, in that, it makes sense. Um, it's, it, it does. The extra- I mean, I ordinary feel, I feel... circumstances in that particular case that go, what would you do in that kitchen? It doesn't matter whether you're a, a meter reader or a, 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 a journalist or a teacher. If you were confronted with a vampire and you knew it was killing and you couldn't get anybody to do anything about it, you know, what would push you into the situation where you needed to kill it? And I, I think that's a valid story. Um, it, I, I mean, it it is valid, and it's not it's not in that sense so much a question of vocation as of character. Mm-hmm. The, the The problem I still think with it is that there's no real indication that Kolchak's character is is really it, it, it is a fit for for becoming the the kind of um, vampire killer or guardian of humanity or or whatever. His 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 skills are quite and his and his passion is quite specific and is is related to his vocation which is why this story for example does work because it fits with Kolchak's character mm-hmm. and and you know when I know, I know some of this is just the comedy shtick or whatever but when he when he sort of dons the surgical scrubs or whatever and and tries to get in on the autopsy yeah it's a bit far-fetched but He's after the story, and you hear you hear about what tabloid hacks get up to nowadays, and you think actually that's relatively tame, and mm-hmm. he is every bit as unscrupulous and hungry for that story as any of them are. So it 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 is who Kolchak is, whereas the the the, the protector of humanity is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, and you know, it'd be. <clears throat> One one of the things talking to a vampire again, a lot of the stories where the average person ends up being the vampire killer, it's because they are at direct danger. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they put them in that moral position of if you don't kill the vampire, the vampire will kill you. And I would be a lot happier if when Kolchak went throughout various episodes, um, his collection of stuff that he puts together was to defend himself while he got the story. Yeah. Rather than to be, well, I'm just going to have to go out there and I'm going to have to get that zombie and I'm going to have to immobilize the zombie and I'm going to have to kill it or whatever yeah. it happens to be. So, um, Like grabbing the torch in this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's it's a defensive action that, that he's doing to get the story. If it comes to the point where it's it or them, you know, he's going to make the choice on yeah. on his own behalf, and that. But he's there. He's there for the story, and he and and in this case, it's the torch. But he, it that's it to enable him to get close in order to get one of his excruciatingly awful photographs, or his <laughs> to be able yes. to give an eyewitness report. Whereas in other cases, he deliberately packs this stuff and goes and seeks the thing out and doesn't even have a proper journalistic purpose in doing so. So right. uh, you know, the, the, I guess I guess it's it's because you know, really, it feels like the role of journalist is is observer, and obviously, you do 
inevitably become part of the story whatever you know war reporting or whatever you have to give your perspective and of course you you interact with the people you're interviewing and all the rest of it but it doesn't it doesn't sit well with me that Kolchak would think you know what would make great copy is for me to write about me going out and driving a stake through the heart of a vampire right writing about someone else and you know these people witnessed someone driving a stake through a heart of vampire that's that's the journalist's job yeah yeah so conflicting the role of the journalist and the role of a protagonist in a tv series are are coming into conflict here uh on on the series as whole. uh kicking back to the episode i'm just going to say that um very famous um there have been a few there are a few episodes of star trek over the years that and I am talking about original Star Trek that have these very um, what are considered Star Trekky morals and messages and 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 whatnot. And one of them is the Devil in the Dark, and it's a story about a mining colony where suddenly the miners are being killed, and. Kirk and his crew are sent to the planet to figure out what's going on. It turns out it's a creature, and the creature is just killing everyone down there right and left and and sabotaging. And it turns out what's happened here is that they've broken into its nest chamber, its egg chamber, which they think are rocks, round rocks, and she's defending it. And in the end, they are able to communicate with the creature, and instead of having to kill, they realize that, you know, she's not the villain of this piece. The miners were the villain of this piece, and and, and unwitting villains of the piece, <clears throat> because they were killing her children, and, and they didn't know that, and they didn't know they were children. And so they come to a piece at the end, and you walk away. And that's one of those significantly Star Trek stories that they're trying to tell, the morality play, the Star Trek. The, the enemy is not necessarily the enemy there simply have their own point of view. I see a lot with this episode of, of theft from that. I, 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 I cannot believe that they didn't, hadn't watched that episode of Star Trek and thought, oh, creature, egg, reptile, undersea, base, or underwater <laughs> base, and then yet somehow almost completely missed, missed it because Kolchak handing it the eggs and then it walking off and ending the story is sort of sort of the same thing but there's no n- nobody really gets that that moral jab that says oh you know we were in the wrong here yeah um it it's really a sad copy but i'm sure it's a copy uh, <laughs> like it just it just doesn't seem um well cer- certainly certainly some of the elements i mean finding the eggs and the so so being protective that that's that makes sense but it it feels like Kolchak's been, the, as in the show, has been on a journey more towards being interested in understanding the monsters a bit, even even as far back as the werewolf, where mm-hmm. they said, you know, kind of this this guy is a victim. He's actually he, he he's not in control of what he's doing, and it, it, that's a tragedy for him as well as for his victims. But hey, we're going to shoot him anyway. Right. Um, and and then you know gradually they start. To, so you know, Mister Ring, the, the empathy is is there, and Kolchak is is now siding with the monster against the people who are trying to kill the monster, rather than being at, at the lead with mm-hmm. with with you know the hammer and stake. And so it, I I like this aspect of it. And it, it, it feels to me like a natural progression along that. Although, just glancing at Wikipedia now, I see there's a comment on it. This episode is noted for being very similar to the Star Trek episode, Devil in the Dark. 
<laughs> they, I Literally mean, there's, there's similarities, and yet they are completely different because they just, the, you know, it's it's just the quick resolution. Oh, their eggs here, hand them back. Okay, story done. It's like there's there's nothing to that. I mean, nobody learns anything. Kolchak doesn't really. I mean, he learns their eggs, but why did he have to take them back? Well, I mean, the creature was chasing him through the whole thing. Why didn't he just take the egg thing and put it in front of the creature and go here? Because we needed to, we need to have an exciting corridor chase. I cannot find out where that was shot. I want to know where that was shot. Those are some seriously long underground... Well, I assume they're underground because there's no windows and doors of any kind. Those are amazing corridors. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know... Uh, that, that's not a studio set. It's clearly not a studio set. That, that's got to be practical, and it's got to be somewhere that they could get to in Los Angeles. But I, I've never seen a corridor that long that, that wasn't, you know, a, a picture, you know, in the back making it extended on. Those are, those are amazing. And I could not find anything on the Internet about where it was shot. But um, I think they had that, and they thought, what can we do to, rather than have him run down this corridor? <laughs> yeah. And die we'll before he reaches the very, very slow buggy down the corridor. Yeah. I think they could have done better if when at the beginning, when he was being chased down the corridor and he kept looking over his shoulder like, is it there? Is it there? Is it there? If there'd been a little shadow at the far, far end of the corridor or the lights had gone out down there or something, anything, you know, to tell you yeah. that, no, no, there is something actually back there chasing him. We can't tell what well, it is you, yet, but... You can see it from the reaction and... From yeah, I mean the problem the problem with it is as you know, as as sometimes has been taken to extremes in Kolchak is it's too long a scene. They're they're clearly a bit too pleased with something they found to to kind of pad it out. They did need to pad this episode, I think. That may be why and, they did the flashbacks. Yeah. But to come back to your question about, I mean, I I haven't seen Devil in the Dark, so I don't know what the parallels are, but I think or what the differences are even, I think one of the differences here would have to be that it's the military who are the bad guys in this. Mm-hmm. It, isn't, it isn't as though Kolchak himself has been the one who has been provoking or at least um, prolonging the, the, the provocation of the crocodile <laughs> things. Crocman. Yes. <laughs> it... it it's it's him who solves it, and it's it's the military who are who who are the bad guys in this situation who need to they 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 are the ones who need to to realise they've been in the wrong, and in that sense, it has it develops that vibe that kind of has been introduced in in the energy eaters where. Kolchak isn't the only one who knows and we're getting a bit of that sort of conspiracy X-Filey thing going on Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah but they don't learn their lesson who knows if Kolchak even ever tells them about the eggs you know we just we don't well that's true that's true and and they're not they're not particularly bad or evil um, in you know in the sense that at one point, I thought actually, because I was trying to work out what was going on with uh, Lieutenant or Colonel Lieutenant, sorry, uh, Lamont. Oh, Lamont. Uh, yeah. Where she where she was arguing that she should have custody of Kolchak because she was after him for a crime that was committed within her jurisdiction first. And there are two interpretations you can have of it. One is she just 
wants the collar. Okay, fair enough. The other is that these guys are such badasses that she's trying to protect Kolchak by keeping him in her custody. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was I thought that was a really interesting angle for them to be taking on it. So I you know, I thought here are all these guys suited up as if they're, you know, regular workers or whatever, but actually they're we don't know who they are at that point um, and they have enough clout to be threatening a a, a police lieutenant and then later on when they're both on the scene again he starts playing good cop to the lieutenant's bad cop so it completely (laughs) destroys that sense of menace yeah they they reminded me uh, a bit of the um the guys from the Department of Energy from uh, Stranger Things. They're all pretending to be civilian workers, but they're all packing heat and trying to, <laughs> you know, trying to suppress the suppress the uh, evil goings on at, at the lab. But uh, uh, I can't think of too many other instances where you've got the military actually in fake uniforms of some other uh, organization like that. But yeah, it was, <clears throat> it was kind of odd. I mean, what what did you think of Lieutenant Lamont and and this take on the police? Uh, see, well, the take on the police is, you know, it's an interesting one, and I've I've had my issues with the way that that uh, this show, well documented now, with the way that this show treats the the relationship between the police and the press, and. I thought there was an opportunity to be doing something interesting with that in the sense that, I mean, Vincenzo actually said, I'm trying to create a professional rapport with, with Lamont, mm. uh, which, which, you know, that's a novel idea. That's, that's not something I've been suggesting since the flipping first Except TV. it's because she's pretty. Exactly. And so, and so you know, the, th- the, the thing you could be exploring here is the fact that Although, although it seems to me a sensible idea from a purely pragmatic perspective for a journalist to cultivate their police sources and to, you know, to, to charm them and work on them. And similarly for the police and the, and the press, you know, they, they get a, a good press, they, they get to channel out the information they want, it makes it easier for them to to uh, brush under the carpet a, a bad story when it comes along. So they are there it, and and so you could be doing you could be doing that whole story you could be doing the way in which a police lieutenant is charming various members of the press the press like it or the you know the it's it's sort of reoccurrence of those bad journalists that we saw in the early episodes who are just content to take everything the police feeds them and just print that because it makes good copy you know they get a good story out of it and they don't have to work too hard. Right. And Kolchak is having none of that. And all that's fair enough. Or at least it would be if this wasn't the first time we'd actually seen a woman uh-huh. in the Chicago PD. Which probably is relatively rare in 1974, 5, whatever it is. It may be. But if you're going to, if you're going to break that ground when mm-hmm. it is rare, to do it with all this kind of... Oh, alluring femininity i think we're supposed to take that her alluring femininity got her where she is within the department too wait that yes exactly it's not just because she charms the press i think it's but she charms every Uh because they they specifically say kolchak says she's ambitious 
Mm-hmm. So that's that's his take, and he he makes a big thing about not being won over by her. I've... Which I'm going to say just right now, that's Darren McGavin's wife. Oh my word! Oh my word! I did not get that. I did not get that. <laughs> that is because it, it didn't feel to me. I mean, it felt to me like he actually genuinely wasn't charmed, even when he was saying, you know, I like your eyes and your nose and your earlobes and all of that. Well, he's an actor. <laughs> well, no. Uh, Fair, fair play to him, <laughs> assuming he does like his wife, did like his wife. Oh, they were um, at least, I think they were married in the 60s and, and ended in the noughties. And I'm, that may have been on death, so <clears throat> yeah. not entirely sure. But um, yeah, quite a long time. Uh, but were, yeah, I, 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 you know, obviously... That, that leads nice. questions to the casting there, though, to me. It's like, hey, how about if one of the police captains is my wife? She's an actress. She's been in tons of well, stuff, you know. Um, so, you know, it's it's not like he was he was bringing on somebody who doesn't have a, a pedigree in acting. She was a, a long time actor. Um, yeah, yeah. I but, mean, these things happen. You know, that one I, I I wondered at too. And so then they had to come up with how do we get her into be a police captain? Let's tell this story and and because they do tend to be a little bit cynical in a lot of the kind of just incidental stories that are going on on the side. Uh, throughout the series and so you know how does a woman get to be a police lieutenant in in 1970s she works it you know that that's bad but except except the 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 cynical story you could you could be equally cynical and you could say what's stopping a police uh, a woman from being a police captain being a police lieutenant uh you know what how just how good do you actually have to be Mm-hmm. to get past all those all those prejudices and they chose this story instead they, you, this is the this is the narrative they want do you feel like she wasn't in and i hate to use the word competent but do you feel that she wasn't every bit as competent as all the other police lieutenants and captains we've seen along the way and i, I kind of got she, the impression she was more yeah i i would have, i would because she's a lieutenant and there have been captains who have been considerably less competent yeah i mean shh she obviously and to your question about protecting Koljak from the from the military, she didn't arrest him when she knew he was in the autopsy. She said that, yeah. And I think I think it's true. I think it's true. I mean, I was, when she was walking alongside Kolchak, she was looking at him because he had his mask on, and you know, there okay. was there I was wasn't something. quite sure what we were supposed to make make of that. And of course, the fact that he said his name was Kolchak Kofsky, and she's yeah. standing out there. So I, I'm I, I almost feel like she was. Yeah, helping him and then yet at the end as you say she really wants to bust him so I, maybe he just wore her down um i, I don't know like he does all the it, other police yeah well obviously it wouldn't it wouldn't be the first time but i it it, it would it would have been an interesting way i i thought it'd been an interesting way to take the story if it turned out that she was actually l- looking after him in some sense even even if she found him to be a nuisance and didn't want him anywhere near the story. She didn't want him to fall into the hands of the, the yeah. whichever branch of the you know the federal government was actually involved in this. So well, they were clearly the military. They were clearly uh, military. The dog tags were dead. Get with the colonel and the dog tags. So the fact that the U.S. Army. military was in undercover clothes. I mean, that's that's a big. My understanding is that's a big no-no. That that's not a thing you do. Yeah. And so. 
if Kolchak had been taken, he probably would have never been seen again. Well, yes. I mean, that that was the vibe I was getting earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. So, but until yeah, and then then he's good. He plays good cop later on, uh, and he, he seems almost reasonable. And he kind of actually, I kind of believed him. So he was more interested in just figuring out what was going on than than mm-hmm. uh, you know keeping the story under wraps, of course. But yeah. Uh, let's see. What else have I got here? We, we, I don't think we could possibly not talk about that costume. The Merca, or whatever we want to oh. call it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I was actually thinking Caves of Antrazani, but... Oh, yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was pretty bad, and mm. wow, did they use it more than they should have. Oh, yes. Yeah, let's make sure we get plenty of light on the costume. We spent a big bucks of money on that, so let's, uh... Let's, yeah, no, that was that was not not particularly good. Um, and let and let's make sure that whoever's inside it just walks along like a bloke in Wellingtons. <laughs> he, he did he did kind of waddle <laughs> along the way. Um, I will I will just mention the joke uh, in the story because it was the one that that did get a laugh out of me, and that's where the guys where Kolchak says, "Yeah, but none of these stand up walk on two legs like a man," which you'd think. He wouldn't need a book to tell him that, but okay. Uh, and then and then the guy says, well, if the crocodiles were meant to walk, God would have given them alligator shoes. Oh, God. <laughs> I laughed out loud. <laughs> it's a terrible joke, but I laughed out loud. It's terrible. <laughs> um, two miles underground. That is, that's a long way down. Two miles vertically. Yeah. What was the line? Hmm? What was the line? Well, he just said that the that the archive was was over two miles under the surface. Gosh, that's a long way down. And and on the elevator, he said, "Well, we're passing ten thousand feet, so that's almost two miles right there." Um, yeah, yeah. So that is that is an incredibly deep thing to be putting under Chicago. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I really should have looked up the geology and whatnot. As I said, it's very stable, and as far as I know, Chicago probably is geologically fairly stable. Um, but you know, is that is that two miles underneath the Indian burying grounds and and stuff where all the Machiminotos are? <laughs> yeah, just, or the uh, yeah, yeah. That was that was the energy to. I was yeah. thinking about that. Also. And the lake. Worrying about a lake accidentally draining into one of these holes and the result being a bit... Um... Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a relatively big lake right there next to Chicago, I understand. Uh, yes, <clears throat> yes, indeed. And, and uh, it could make the Thames look like it did in that episode about the Rachnos, which <laughs> uh, Runaway I've temporarily bride. forgotten the name of. Runaway Bride. Runaway Bride, that was the one. Yes. So The good one. I, I, I hadn't quite clocked how deep it was obviously missed the the line about two miles but that puts a slightly different perspective on kolchak worrying about subterranean car parks it it did most people wouldn't bother to park below Ooh, yeah i mean i think quarter of a mile would be a bit of a stretch for most people yeah i think three or four floors would be uh, a bit uh, a bit of a stretch yeah that, that would be a heck of a drive uh to get down there and I and I should have done it. And again, this is one of those I should have, but I didn't do it. I could have watched the episode. I could have timed how long it took them to take the elevator down because the character does say, you know, or oh, you're moving very fast. Hang on to your stomach or whatever he said. Um, as it happens, coincidentally, I at one point the Taipei 101 was the tallest building in the world. 
It isn't anymore. It was only that way for a little while, but 101 floors. And it has this super high-tech elevator that they had to make specially for this so that you could traverse 101 floors in a reasonable length of time. And it's an interesting ride. I mean, you, you can you can tell that uh, that you're, you're traversing a, a long distance. And I'm just wondering if this elevator going two miles down had to be even faster because i'm thinking taipei 101 is you know like 300 meters <clears throat> if if i suppose we could look that up but um yeah i i, I want to go back and measure it to see what speed that elevator is running at because ele- the, fast elevators is an interesting subject more so than perhaps crocodile man i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a high bar, crocodile men, you know. Did you notice that they, they not only can they store traditional microdots and magnetic tape, but the newfangled magnetic disks? Yes. Oh, I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> Eight-inch floppies. Look, looking forward to when we get those. <laughs> uh, sometimes watching the past is funny. Uh, one time when it's not funny, though, is when I see that guy working down, the union guy, and oh, Kolchak yeah. tries to slip him a 20, and he says, I make more than that in 10 minutes. <laughs> So he's making at least 120 bucks an hour doing that job, and that's like 600. Do we assume it's doing that job? Yeah, yeah. I think he was legitimately uh, a worker in the the mines there, not because he was the one that tipped Kolchak off that there were people running around who weren't who they claimed to be. Oh yeah, yeah. But I just I just meant was were the employers paying him that much? Yeah, I think so. Or were the employers? I think that I think that's a not union his dig. main source of income. I think that's a union dig. I think I think this is about. But, that, but that's not a dig. Thing. That's not a dig. That's that's a, that's an advert for unionization. I mean, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I suppose that's one way to look at that. Maybe the British. You, I don't know. Jo- I, what? Join 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 a union. Make 120 bucks an hour or 627. Well, yeah, but it's collective bargaining. You'll get you'll get paid fairly for the work you do. That sounds fine. What I thought it was a go at was, and I, because I don't exactly know as much about labor in the US as in the UK I thought it was a dig at corruption and there being mob connections with and and oh, and you? therefore his position as shop steward or whatever his his role was there was um, was a means for him to collect lucrative backhanders but I hmm. could have got that wrong well I mean I think I think definitely you're supposed to because we've seen this throughout Kolchak I think you're definitely supposed to think that the unions are corrupt mob organizations I think that's absolutely correct um so when I say it's taking a dig at the unions you know the fact that this guy's a union employee I'm guessing he probably is paid that amount by the employer because the union forces them to pay that ridiculous amount of money and it is a ridiculous amount of money that that's i think that's the point it's like it's a blue collar working making you know no one forces that a huge <laughs> amount of money no one forces them to pay that amount of money oh that, that they, is they kind of the can... whole point of the union corruption <laughs> but yeah no 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 the 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 point is you can do it through collective bargaining the point is you can say we are worth that much and you can't what you can't do is you can't try and undercut do you, do you have what, um, you know by setting have off one worker against another a difference between uh i can't remember what their what the other turn is or uh, union uh, 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 in the united states we have right to work states and we have collective bargaining states 
And in collective bargaining states, in some collective bargaining states, certainly back in the 1970s, that meant you could not work in an industry if it's called, you weren't union. It's called a closed shop um, yes. in in. in, in Okay. British speak. I have heard Briti- that term. British English. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that in, in, at this point in the 1970s, there would have been closed shops in the UK. They were outlawed by Thatcher during the 1980s. But that you know, led that, to shops, be, businesses being basically held ransom by the unions. This is why some states don't, don't have that. So you mean there you were still people, do have that in some we, states in the US? Yes. Yes, Goodness they do. me. They do. I think California is one of them. Um, wow. Wow. You say held ransom, but actually what you mean is some states having to pay their workforce what their worst workforce is asking. Maybe. But how do you determine what they're worth if what they're worth is what they're asking? I mean, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm let, not, the, let the free market decide everything race to the bottom. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm I'm neither on one side of this or the other. But, you know, the pendulum always swings both ways and before anybody corrects it. And in the 1970s, and that that's kind of that's kind of that period of time where the unions had gotten enough power that what they were paying what they were getting for their people were there was no market forces on them at all there there were there were mob forces there were mob forces in getting legislators to do things there were mob threats getting the employers to go along with it there were laws that made it look legal and so people were getting i'm in i'm in no i'm in no way defending the the corruption involved or or any of the criminal aspects of it i'm just Hmm. i'm just observing that if the portrayal of the union guy as being someone who is sufficiently well paid that he doesn't need a backhander from Kolchak that's the union doing its job that's what it's you know that's what it's there to do you know the employer is there to to try and get the work done for as little money as possible or to make the maximum profit or whatever the union is there to make sure that their guys get paid and they're doing that and so Without a whole load of other other context in this, and I, I, you know, I do appreciate that we've we've seen uh, portrayal of organised labour in other episodes, suggesting it is seen quite negatively in in the show. But um, but in this particular instance, it does just look like an advert. <laughs> well, if I could get one hundred and twenty bucks an hour, if I could even get one hundred and twenty bucks an hour, let alone adjusted for inflation. <laughs> I'd go dig in a ditch too. Absolutely, you know that's uh, that's insane money. Um, <laughs> that's, but uh, I didn't work out what it is, but that that's insane money anyway. Um, so we have this sequence where the union guy is explaining to Kolchak how to get out to Section R and where is Section M, and he's giving him this rather you're an idiot you go from section a to section r a b c d you know down the mm-hmm. then the path which cannot possibly be well i suppose it could but it's highly unlikely that's really the system that they use that would imply that the whole thing is just a straight line and now that they've hit r and r is the sinkhole they're done right so i guess i you guess know, next unless unless it's some kind of circuit or i don't know but then when we get to the part where kolchak comes to the junction and there's a big sign that says, I don't know, A through, forget which it was, but K, one way, and L through R, the other way. Did you notice that he spent an awful lot of time looking at that sign and kind of moving his hand along with it like, 
Hello audience, can you see this giant sign right here that says L through R, um, think, 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 uh, or A through K? And I'm looking for Emma. I, I think I probably should go that way. I thought he looked like a complete idiot Yeah. at that point. It was just... <laughs> I thought not not as much as an idiot as when he was trying to do a three point turn in a very tight corridor when a lizard monster was immediately behind him. Yes, yes, and then went down a different corridor, and the creature was in front of him again. Yeah. Or did he go down the same corridor? Because they all kind of look alike. I thought it was a different creature. Oh, see, I thought no. there was more than one, but I don't know. That's a good question. Was there more than one? Well, I don't know. Did they all get together after they got the eggs and have a little powwow and decide to to go? Were they intelligent? I, that, is it an instinct Not, creature or was it an intelligent creature? It wasn't obviously intelligent. I I didn't assume it was intelligent. I didn't either. But maybe that was what they were trying to imply by it being on two legs. I, I don't know. I've no idea why it was on two legs. <laughs> no idea. I mean, a big, a big really four legged. It's because it's a guy in a suit. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's your criticism. The, union, the unions are so strong that equity wouldn't allow them to. To uh, oh well, we're not. You have to pay them extra if our members are going to have to go on their hands and knees. Absolutely, that's that's different rates. <laughs> that's hazard pay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right. And it's you know just just for a brief. I mean, just a brief aside back for just one second. The fact that Hollywood is an incredibly highly unionized industry in the United States. The writers' guilds, the directors' yep. guilds, of this stuff—they are all majorly on board union. And the fact that you will still get stuff where they're taking digs at unions, as in in other episodes that we've seen, is kind of funny. Um, yeah, it is. You know, you would think that that would be their utopian goal, and they would be uh, the playing that up rather than than playing up the uh, corruption aspects of it. Anyway, uh, let's see what else have we got here. Well, while we were talking about nineteen uh, seventies politics, when. <laughs> So I mean, I quite I quite like to again. It's kind of aspect of of Kolchak's investigative zeal in this episode. But he he goes in and uh, with his extremely well prepared cover story as the as a representative of the international nickel syndicate. Um, but but you know he's 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 properly kind of pushy. You know you've got to break eggs to make an omelette and mm-hmm. all that. And so he's kind of portraying this 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 persona to the guy. But there's a line in it. I couldn't work out what the intention was where the guy says to him, it's this recession. It's got everybody in a bad mood. And Kolchak goes, what recession? Now, what's that supposed to mean? Is that is that Kolchak pretending to be such a successful nickel trader or dealer or miner or whatever that the recession has no effect on him? So, in other words, it's just kind of smug one-upmanship. Or is Kolchak really such a narrow-minded journalist that he has no idea what's happening in the wider political economy? I I didn't know how to interpret that line either. And the only th- the reason I glossed over it was because it felt like it felt like something that was probably timely. That that if you'd been watching it in that day and age, you you might put it to the 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 events of the day. Um, 
And uh, an example is, at some point in the 1970s, I know there were huge gas lines. There was gas rationing. There were gas lines. I remember that. Yeah. I couldn't tell you whether that was 1972 or 1978. I couldn't, you know, I, I can't fix that in my mind. It was a short period of time. If that had been happening at that moment and somebody had written a TV show and mentioned something about, you know, having to wait at the pump or something, you would look at it and you would go, that is that is topical and that is timely. And if we looked at it, you know, some kid looking at it 20 years from now is not going to understand that conflict because they didn't they didn't neither live but through they it wouldn't. nor they even remember it like I do to the, the point. So I have a feeling like that might have been something to do with you know, were we in a recession? Weren't we in a recession? Is it? Well, yeah, uh, yes. I know we were going I mean, into one. That's for sure. I, I think. I think that's been right. Been in one for a couple of years, probably at that point. So yeah, no, I I don't know what the line. I, I didn't exactly. And, and know they what wouldn't. The, they wouldn't have been thinking about people rewatching it. They would have. No, no, they I, wouldn't. I, I imagine because you know this this whole VHS those magnetic was discs a decade oh, away. Oh. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so they wouldn't have been think or th or thinking about you know what will people make of this line on the repeat. So I, I assumed that was a line that was intended to be interpreted by the present day audience. It just it's it struck me as very odd. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he was trying to get at. So that was that was a weird one. I will I will agree. I I, I do have a question though. If I were to mail a box to your house, let's just say. Mm -hmm. Would it be appropriate for me to put instructions on the front that said, please place this box unattended in the hallway near the restrooms, uh, in your bathroom? And if you receive such a box, would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. Or I might, I might just position it a bit further away so I, d I wasn't disturbed by the ticking noise. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> I, you know, I thought the scheme was kind of stupid to begin with. Uh, put myself in a box and go in the thing. I was like, okay, it's not a great idea, but it will get him into the facility. All right, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's dumb. I'm fine with it. I'm not fine with the fact that he apparently decided to use his flashlight. I think if I was going to do that, I would get have a flashlight, but I'd turn it off and save it to when I needed it when I got down there. Um, and, uh, but I would expect to wake up in a receiving room or a warehouse or, or the mail receiving room or something. I would not expect to find myself just propped up in an empty hallway. <laughs> yeah. Or you might expect to find yourself at the bottom of a pile of very large crates. There's that too. So could say do not know, stack. I don't know, but, uh, that would be a, that would be a, a reasonable, legitimate instruction to print on the box. Yes. Yes, must not be around other boxes. <laughs> leave leave this end so that it can be open from the inside. <laughs> I I also noticed he didn't take any tools in the box with him. Uh, and yet, even though it was nailed shut, he seemed to get out without any trouble. I thought I saw a hammer. Inside? I missed that. Maybe there was. I, I think when they were putting him in, I think there was like a quick pass off of a, of a, of a even, hammer. Even so, a, a hammer is a noisy yeah yeah because <laughs> he's no way of knowing whether there are people around immediately outside the box before mm -hmm. he starts banging away on it at least if at least if you put a crowbar or something in you think you could prize it quietly open just a, a crack and see if you could see anyone through that i don't know <laughs> uh, or or drill drill some eye holes in it i don't know air holes too i think they were supposed to be air i holes was worried in about it. that yeah um 
Uh, anyway, oh no! So I do want to ask: the creature knocks out the power at one point. He plunges through yes, a wall and yes, knocks out the yes. power. That's the argument for intelligence. Oh, okay. I, mean, I thought a, he was an just, argument for intelligence. I thought he was just happened to plunge through a bit of wall. It could with be cables. It could be. I don't know. Uh, you know, the other places he plunged through the wall. <laughs> I'd say the argument for intelligence might be using the door, but whatever. On the, uh, on that too, and I <laughs> was it, <laughs> is that what he was doing? Was lizards. it looking for the eggs? I I don't know. I mean, speaking of doors, I did I did assume it was significant that the cupboard that the eggs were in was locked. But if it can crash through walls, a locked cupboard might not be that much trouble. Well, I think, you know, the scientist was going on about getting the door locks changed earlier in the episode. And they had that whole bit about Utah and his his discovery being stolen. So clearly, oh, the hiding, he, the yeah, clearly he wanted those things locked up. Yeah, not not because of the creature, but because of industrial espionage, if if that's yeah, what yeah, it's yeah. called in geology. But but that, but then I, what I was wondering was was it significant in the sense of the creature being unable to recover the eggs because they were locked up? No evidence that it ever got in that room, though. True, true. But why not? I don't know. I, 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 exactly. I don't know. Uh, I think maybe they didn't think it out. <laughs> no. Too, too well. <laughs> too well. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I will say this. I thought the costume was terrible. I have to say it's just not a good costume. Uh, the story was a little bit light. Uh, I can't say exactly that it built up tension particularly well because, you know, when you've got a long corridor that's a quarter mile long and there's nothing in it, I feel pretty safe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know? Yeah. you know, so it didn't do like many episodes where it's it, you, there's the shadows and the darkness, the creature, and, and you don't know it, and you can they, they've done a good job in the dragon. The, the one time that they did a good job was at a point where Kolchak kind of pokes his head out the door of the lab, I think it was. I think it happened a couple of times. And there's multiple corridors, you know, going off in different directions. And you can just hear the creature. And yeah. there's, it's clear he, like us, has no clue which corridor that came from. It's just echoing around. So yeah. in that respect, it was a good, much better use of the sound than it was of the actual creature itself um, in that case. And, and in that case, I'm like, okay, I could feel it for a moment. For a moment, the director got me there. You could feel a little bit of the, which way is it coming from? But otherwise, it was pretty... <sighs> pretty pretty uh, far-fetched that that creature could sneak up on you uh, in most of the situations. But anyway. I don't have anything else about this particular episode. Nor do I. And, I th- and I'm not trying to close that down at all. Because um, we've had quite a bit of conversation about Kolchak as a whole uh, here at the end of the series. But have we got anything we want to say as, as this is the the last episode? Kolchak, Tonight Stalker, the show that has many times been... Um, credited as part of the influences for the X-Files and for Chris Carter and, and other members of the crew. Um, it's a, it is a considered a cult show because it was not successful in its time, but it does have a small but dedicated uh, fandom of it. Um, you know, does it, does it deserve a place in the history of television as a, as a not forgotten show? Well, it deserves a, it deserves a place in the history of television, if only for the influence it has. I, and it. I mean, I guess, I guess it's originality, really. But that, that in a way, that earns its place in the history books. It doesn't necessarily earn its place in my DVD collection as something that <laughs> I want to come back and rewatch again and again. And I think, I think, I think that's because 
it's it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Really badly realized. <laughs> you know, I I, um, I have this sort of observation uh, about things in general, and and you see it, and maybe you see it when when you travel to other countries. There are things that are done a certain way. Um, electricity or phones or, or, or basic things to life that are, are infrastructure things. side of the road. There's kind of one, in, in a way, there's kind of one um, that, you know, the United States put in the first, I don't know, freeway system, inter, interstate freeway system or, or uh, early adopter of AC electric. And I know England also, but they were kind of doing them in, in parallel to each other, uh, independent of one another. Uh, other countries that did this later did a better job because they saw the shortcomings of who did it first. But whoever did it first, you're kind of stuck with the path that you went down. And and that yeah. to me is kind of Kolchak. It was like, this is a new thing. This is, we're going to try this. It sort of works as a TV show and everyone else can learn from our, our shortcomings. Um, I guess, I mean, because it's a good enough idea... That it doesn't it doesn't get dragged down by the mistakes that were made. I'm not I'm not I have to say, I mean the T V show in its way redeemed some of the problems I felt there were in the T V movies because I'm actually not a, a particularly big fan of those well, particularly I thought the second T V movie didn't even have the redeeming element of originality because it was such a, a kind of copy of the yeah. the first TV movie but as as you go into the into the TV series when they do start to break with the formula it does start to get interesting and better the problem is that they didn't i don't think they considered carefully enough the formula that they were setting up and and that that comes into because in into such simple things as they obviously wanted to create a bit of an ensemble around Kolchak and Vincenzo's a hangover from the, the mm-hmm. TV movie so I he he kind of goes without saying but I I didn't think that either Abdike who didn't really work at all or Miss Emily who was given very little to do were anything more than something every single writer had to kind of find a way to cram into the show. Not in this one, just Vincenzo. Well, indeed, and there there have been a couple of episodes like that, and I think it's notable how little one feels their absence, really. And I do think, I I felt there were episodes um, where Miss Emily had potential, horror in the heights, perhaps Mm -hmm. in particular, and where you kind of got a glimpse of how if the show had been set up with some kind of sidekick, her character could have been an an interesting model for that. But actually the episodes where the show really almost did become entertaining... (laughs) Sorry about the faint phrase, but yeah... I guess I, I guess I haven't been a particular fan of this show, but it, around about the middle of it, I did feel each episode was getting successively better, and it particularly grew to a kind of climax around horror in the heights and Mister Ring, which I thought was actually quite a thought-provoking episode and one that I have gone on to continue thinking about since we discussed it. Because after discussing it, I watched. Um, Blade Runner 2049 and I watched uh, Chappie and I came back to thinking about how how well that episode had handled the 
anthropomorphism of the the the, the android and and the way it had represented his development and and the development of the character and i think whatever the shortcomings of the the show itself that really really stands out as being better than you know many of these other more popular instances of the same story so it definitely it definitely does deserve its place it's just for some reason it then managed to turn back on the the things it had done well and turn out a sort of series of turkeys you know things like chopper were just awful uh, well my my understanding um is that as um as the show went into production uh, Darren McGavin and his wife actually you'll you'll catch her in interviews too uh they they were kind of a team um were very dedicated to the to the program to the to working on it but there was also a misunderstanding between who would be a producer Darren McGavin was expecting to be a producer and was not and that and some problems with the producers soured their relationship through the course of the, the episode McGavin would kind of act like he was a producer on the set and that caused that caused some problems and he had progressively problems with the scripts which were turns out the show was hard to shoot and they were hard pressed to get scripts in on time as well and the quality suffered and he didn't like it and he was getting increasingly vocal about how bad he thought some of the scripts were and i don't know that we have any documentation of which ones he thought were terrible but you know working on the assumption that he's a relatively sane guy who's trying to tell a good story i suspect we <laughs> could probably figure out which ones they were right i, I mean think that, so. and that that ultimately led to the you know I went out of the contract and I think, you know, with the ratings not as good as they would like them to be and with the cost of the show being higher than the than a typical one because of the night shooting and things like that, you know, they said, yeah, that's fine. Let's 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 end it. End it here. Um, You know, what would have happened if he'd gotten his producer credit? He would have, you know, been Mm -hmm. far more vested in the show um, than than he probably was. And what would have happened if they'd been able to have a realistic shooting schedule or or a, a better, you know, more time to work on the scripts and work them out? in the format so i you know even even looking back on it and saying well it was going to fail there's still that feeling that it could have been so much more and there are a couple of cases where it is yeah it's very good and and i would agree like horror in the heights is just a really good hour of television Mm. it's just a you know given even with the weird the, the weirdness and the funky costume and whatnot it's just it's good and partially because of the revelation about kolchak and and trusting miss emily and and you know that that little reveal about the character it's um yeah yeah and and mr ring is is as you say it's a thought-provoking episode there are problems uh particularly in the costume department but you know it 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 had its it's had its thought and here we have did its job it really did its job and here we have the sentry which like i say is is definitely ripping off I, i i just you know i i would suggest i know you don't watch star trek but i would suggest you go you can watch in any well, episode. I don't go watch Star Trek. Go watch Devil in the Dark. I'm sure it's available on Netflix. Just go watch that episode and see. And you, you the, the difference in the moral story that's being told is night and day. And yet it is basically the same story. Um, and, you know, told, you know, in, in also bad special effects in the 1960s. But um, I think it's still a guy in a costume, but he's down on his hands and knees. So they were paying the danger pay for him. <laughs> and... Uh, 
you know, but but the potential in this episode is there if there oh, yeah. were a couple more script polishes or there was a little bit more uh, a little bit more thought given to what they were trying to say other than just put Coljack in a scary spot and this 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 would be this would be a fine filler episode you know with with a little bit of extra work Mm-hmm. And yeah. and if the series had got no worse than this, then I I would think very differently of it. Some people put this as the worst. <laughs> I don't know. I, wow. I I don't think it's the worst. I mean, some people uh, Primal Scream is frequently right down at the bottom. Uh, and, uh, and Primal Scream is terrible. Chopper was terrible. Chopper is terrible. Uh, I I agree. Um, I I don't find this one to be in that level, but I do find it light. Um, uh, you know, and and again, he he didn't go out to kill it, and he didn't kill it. So he he's um, yeah. I, I, it wouldn't be what I would end the series on, but uh, I guess no. we don't have any choice. So then the question is: Along comes the X Files, and X Files makes a huge splash. There's no doubt about that. It was a sensation, and it was uh, it was a major ratings win for Fox Network when it came out. Chris Carter and and some of the others whose names are eluding me at the moment. Um, yeah, I can't uh, eluding me at the moment. Have cited Coljack the Night Stalker as one of their their inspirations. Um, somebody else wants to make money. Spotnitz. That's Frank Spotnitz. Okay. Yes. Yes. Somebody else wants to capitalize as as always happens in television. Uh, a certain type of show hits the mark, and all the other networks go, "We need that type of show because that's what people want to see." And somebody sitting on the property of Goldcheck the Night Stalker says, "Oh, wait a minute, we've got what." Carter says is the inspiration and they hire Frank Spotnitz to go off and make it so that show came out I don't have the year right in front of me but it is available at least in the United States on iTunes 2005 was 2005 the the, the remake I I think it was certainly it was certainly a a couple of years after X-Files finished yeah Uh, I only know this through having got the DVD yeah I've never never seen it before just like the original and that is what we are going to move on to and we are going to take a look at the the remake of Goldjack the Night Stalker with um, Stuart Townsend is that right no that's the singer uh, I'm not the person to ask unless... <laughs> I can't think of his name oh. he's an actor hey he's been in stuff you've, you've probably seen him somewhere and uh, and we'll see how they've retooled that in the post X-Files world so uh, thank you for joining us for our tour of The Night Stalker, the 1970s version. Simon, thank you for being here. A pleasure, as always. And listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.